Well, today uh, we will conclude our series called The Journey Home, a walk through the book of 1 Thessalonians. Last time we talked about how believers can find hope and comfort by keeping their eyes on the horizon. We are called to live in constant expectation of the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ. From the Scripture, we learned three things last week. First, when Jesus returns, our faith will be fulfilled. Our faith will be fulfilled, completed. Won't even need it anymore. It just will be so obvious. There will be no opportunity for doubt. Every eye will see. Second, when Jesus returns, the dead in Christ will fly first class. And third, when Jesus returns, it's all good for his church. The Bible encourages us to keep an eternal perspective. To always remember that Jesus really is coming again. And basically, to stay excited about it. How you doing on that? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, that's why we're doing this. We need these reminders um, to stay excited about the return of Christ. We're to keep our hope in him to wait expectantly for a supernatural triumphant glorious return nothing will change your life like keeping your eye on the horizon looking for jesus at first glance one might think today's text simply reiterates those same ideas but there is an important difference it's one thing to be looking for and longing for the return of christ but it is another thing entirely to actually prepare for his return. As we walk out our journey, one of the most important things we need to be doing is, is getting ready for the finish. And I'm not talking about building bunkers and storing up food. No, you won't find those kinds of things in Scripture, but you will find the preparations we're going to cover today. As believers, we have the inside scoop on the most earth-shattering event this side of creation, the return of Jesus Christ. We know this is coming. <laughs> We need to get ready. The biblical prophecies about the first coming of Jesus came true whether the people were ready or not. And so will the prophecies come true about his second coming? What kind of fools would we have to be to believe it and yet make no preparations? Ready or not, here he comes. The New Testament is clear about this. We're to prepare for the return. In fact, Jesus himself told several parables that were designed specifically to illustrate the fact that it is going to matter what you are doing when he comes. It's going to matter whether or not you're, you're ready when he comes. It's going to matter. It's going to matter for eternity. There are rewards. There are, there are consequences. There are benefits in heaven. It's not just all milk toast. There's a difference that's going to be made depending on whether or not you're ready. The master is returning, as in many of Jesus' parables, at any time, it's always when they least expect it. And when he does, he will see what his servants have done with their charge. Have we been good stewards? Have we been faithful witnesses? Have we prepared the way for the king? The word of God tells us that Jesus is coming. The Holy Spirit inside us testifies to the truth that Jesus is coming. The second coming is coming. The question is, are you ready? And someone asks, how exactly do you get ready for something like that? I'm glad you asked because that is exactly what today's scripture reveals. We're going to learn how to get ready for the return of Christ. And I think that's a pretty important thing. Can I have an amen? All right. Good deal. Now, if only I can get through this message before he arrives. 
Let's read our text. Uh, we've worked along in uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we've arrived in chapter uh, 5 and verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1, 1 Thessalonians. Now, as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child that they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We're not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. What we have here is an exit strategy. These are instructions for how to get ready for the end of the journey. As we've said, the end is really the beginning. But still, there is a finish line to the journey of this life, and ultimately that finish line is going to come to us. We're closer to the finish today than we were yesterday. That much is for sure. We need to get ready. How so? First, number one, we need to obtain salvation. Obtain salvation from verses 3 and then verses 9 through 10. We're going to look at our verses in a little bit uh, out of order today because while Paul wasn't presenting this in step-by-step order, I think it helps us to look at it that way and to look at these as preparation steps. The very first step of preparation we all need to make for the return of Christ is to obtain salvation. Verse 3 tells us why salvation is necessary. Listen carefully. Verse 3, while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. Let me just say that you don't want to be the they in that sentence. Right? In fact, you don't want your family or your neighbors to be the they in that sentence. This is why we started Go Church. This is the primary reason we are here. We are here for the they. We love them and are concerned that they might find themselves in this terrible, unprepared position any day now with no hope of escape. Does your heart not break for those who will not escape? Mine does. But most of the time we act as though they, they are just fine and don't need anything, don't we? When will we share the gospel with those who still don't get it? When will we have the boldness to tell them of their desperate need to obtain salvation? You say, I just can't do that. I just can't. It's harder today than ever. Maybe. I can't do that. Well, first of all, you need to grow until you can. But second, you could at least invite them to church where you know they're going to hear the gospel. 
And maybe some of you say, I can't invite them, Pastor, because you're going to say something that offends them. And you are exactly right. They will be offended by God's truth when it is actually preached instead of danced around. Bring them anyway. One of the reasons people today are not interested in the gospel is that as far as they can tell from us, there's no need. They think they're in good shape with God, but they're wrong. We are sinful people destined for wrath without Christ. There's only, there's only one way to have peace with God, and that is through faith in His saving work on the cross, resulting in a life that is surrendered to Him. If you haven't personally trusted in the Savior and afterward found that you wanted to follow Him away from this world's lies, then you aren't saved. And friend, if you aren't saved by the Savior, then peace with God is not what you will find at the end of the road. What does the Bible say you'll find at the end without faith in Jesus? We just read it. The word is destruction. Verses 9 and 10 of our text show us the alternative. We can become the us in this passage instead of the they if we will what? Simply obtain salvation from Jesus. From verse 9, for God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we're going back to last week, we're awake, meaning we're still alive when he comes, or whether we've already passed away when he comes, whether we're awake or asleep, we'll live together with him. What we can see in verse 3 and verse 9 and 10 is that the most important thing we need to do in order to get ready for the finish is to obtain salvation. I covered the fact that we don't need to worry about the wrath of God last time, but it's extremely important to understand who the we is. Who doesn't need to fear? Those who have obtained salvation through the Lord Jesus don't need to fear the wrath of God. But the converse is also very true. Let me put it as plainly as possible. The Bible is clear that those who have not obtained salvation will not be saved. Maybe that sounds obvious. But apparently it's not. Many people seem to think they're automatically saved, you see. I hear that all the time. It's like they assume they were born with a get-out-of-jail-free card and as if any decent human being will be saved by default. But the Bible teaches clearly that salvation is something a person must obtain. And so this becomes the most important question you've ever been asked. Have you ever in your life obtained salvation? You see, those who have not obtained salvation are still destined for God's wrath. And while they're saying peace and safety, everything's okay, destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains and they will not escape. We should think of the return of Christ as accomplishing two purposes. And those purposes will occur almost simultaneously in my view. Jesus comes first to save believers, but he also comes to pour out God's wrath on unbelievers. I know it sounds incredibly harsh, but it is the truth nonetheless. Jesus is coming first to rescue the church and second to judge and ultimately destroy the rest of the world. That's the message of the Bible. 
God's wrath will be poured out on this evil place and it will be destroyed to a degree far beyond Noah's flood. You don't want to be down here when God destroys this earth. Instead, you will want to have obtained salvation so that you'll have been rescued before the wrath. For years I've heard and even said that salvation isn't just getting your fire insurance. What I've meant is that it that, that, that when you accept Christ, He comes into your life and changes you from the inside out and you will want to start living for Him. Your whole life will become an exercise in glorifying God. It is really quite a wonderful life. And yes, the Bible is clear that if nothing changes in your life, you weren't really saved. By their fruit, you'll know them, Jesus said. However, the fact of the matter is that salvation is like fire insurance. It is perfectly okay to be motivated to come to Christ for the specific purpose of avoiding God's wrath. In fact, that is exactly what verses like these are supposed to do. They are designed to warn us and to inform us that we can avoid the fire if we will simply surrender to the fireman. Jesus is holding out His hand, and all we have to do is take it in order to be saved. That's why they call Him the Savior. What else could you possibly need to know? It's the first and foremost step in getting ready for the finish. You need to obtain salvation by making a decision to trust in Christ to save you. The question is, have you ever done that? Have you said yes to God's gift? Did you know that God has an offer on the table? There's an offer on the table. Are you just going to leave it sitting there? Are you going to receive it? See, Jesus did the hard part. I heard recently somebody, and I just can't believe it could be that easy. I hear that, I've heard that many times. It wasn't easy for God. Think about what He did. Emptied Himself, put Himself into a body so He could bleed and die for us. It's a gift. It's a gift of grace. We have to receive it by faith. Say yes to his offer today. Oh, and by the way, he's also asked that you be baptized to proclaim your faith in Christ to everyone so that your new church family can celebrate with you the fact that you have now obtained salvation. And also so that others like friends and family can be impacted by your profession of faith in the gospel. Step one, obtain salvation. Step two, stay alert. Verses one through eight. Really the heart of the passage. Let's read the first eight verses again. Now, as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need anything, of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief, for you're all sons of lights and sons of day. We're not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night. Those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober. Now in verses 1 and 2, when Paul says, you have no need for me to write you about this. And when he says, you yourselves know full well, what he's saying is that the church at Thessalonica really already gets this point. And yet he goes on to say it again anyway because he knows it is important that they continue to stay alert. We have this tendency to not. 
Beyond that, since we know that Paul's words are inspired by the Holy Spirit, should be taken as timeless words of God, we can also understand that God knew we would need to hear this today, almost two millennia later. God knows that whether Jesus returns today or in another thousand years, if we're to follow Him well in this life, in the time that we have, we're going to need to stay ready for the finish to come at any time. But the Thessalonian church was already known for being ready. It was one of the things they were known for, for being alert to the return of Christ. They seriously had a reputation for this. They were definitely getting this part right. In fact, they were so alert and ready that Paul had to write a second letter. Um, He had to scale things back a little. Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians mostly to say, okay, slow, slow, slow down there, folks. You know, you don't need to be quitting your jobs and just sitting around with your, you know, legs crossed, waiting, looking to the clouds, you know, just ease off a little bit. Uh, you know, we, we need to go ahead and live out our lives and, and be faithful and, uh, you know, live out our mission on this earth. And so, see, this church was actually so alert and so ready that Paul had to write a second letter to bring them back from the extreme. Hang with me because I do have a point. The Thessalonians were so good at being ready for the return that Paul starts this passage off by saying, I know you guys don't really need to hear this. But the question for us at Go Church is this, could anyone say that of us? Could it be written that we're so alert and so ready for the return that we don't really need to be reminded about it? Would someone need to write a second letter to tell us to calm down and continue, you know, go ahead and, and you know, live your life and, 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 and do those things? Would anybody need to write a letter like that for us? I don't think so. And do you remember from earlier in the series that the Thessalonian church was basically the most awesome church on the planet at the time? I wonder if there's any correlation. Of course there is. You see, when a church learns how to stay alert, ready for the return of Christ, that church has a chance to become very special. Now, let's talk about this phrase, like a thief in the night. Some confusion has come from this phrase. Let me say that only poor scholarship would lead a person to assume this means the return of Christ will be secret or that it will necessarily be at night. Any good high school English student knows this is a simile, hence the word like. Simile points to a lack of preparation, a surprise event, something that seems sudden when it finally happens, like labor pains. Certainly not unexpected or secret, just powerful or maybe even shocking when they hit, so they tell me, just from observation. In fact, the text goes on to say that this event should not be sudden or a surprise to us because we're people of the day, not people of the night, not sleeping through life, unaware of what's coming. But there's an even deeper point in what Paul means by thief in the night. If you look at the whole passage, the word night is used as a reference to the unbelieving, sinful world and to this present age. Night is a reference to the prevailing spiritual darkness we currently endure and indeed the spiritual deadness of the majority of the world. When it says Jesus will come like a thief in the night, the idea is that Jesus is going to burst through this night and this darkness of this present age like the sun breaking out of an eclipse. And when Jesus breaks through the night, the sinful world, sadly, most people are going to be like, oh, I didn't see that coming. But as it says, we believers are people of the day, people of the light, not people of the night. And therefore, we should not be among those who are shocked 
when Jesus comes breaking through. Instead, we should be alert, just as Jesus taught so clearly in Mark chapter 13, starting with verse 32. Mark 13, 32. But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It's like a man away on a journey who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say, I say to all, be on the alert. These days we think of an alert as a reminder, maybe a warning, uh, or even an alarm. To be alert is to be reminded, yes, and warned, yes, and maybe even a little bit alarmed. To be alert is to be awake with both eyes wide open in anticipation of something that is coming soon. Some of us get alerts on our smartphones. At one point, my wife had a phone with a glitch, a crazy glitch. We still don't know why it happened, that we never could figure out. Out of the blue she'd get a tornado warning for no apparent reason. It was many years ago when we were in Missouri where tornadoes are a real deal, quite often. And so we would, it would go off. We'd be like in a restaurant, and the thing was loud. You know, rawr, rawr, you know that. I mean, and it's like no matter how she had her phone, it was like it overrode the volume. I don't know. It was crazy. And everybody's looking around, and uh, it would go off, and, We'd stop whatever we were doing. Everybody would stop whatever they were doing and look at us. It was insanely loud. For the first time, we were seriously concerned, you know, where it's like, okay, uh, we better take cover. Whoa. And then we noticed there wasn't a cloud in the sky, and it was January, which if you're from the Midwest, you know that that doesn't, that's not when tornadoes come. So after that, you know, after that first time, we, we maybe the next time just a little bit, by the third time, we just stopped being alerted, and we just started being annoyed. Um. All of us have learned to ignore certain so-called alerts in our lives. But the kind of alert our scripture speaks of today is the kind that really should startle us and bring us out of our daily stupor every time we think about it. Military people probably know better what it means uh, to be placed on alert. Too bad they're all out hunting right now. Uh, But uh, just joking. But Several of, of our military guys are out hunting today. Just I happen to know that. It's deer season, right? So, uh, and, uh, and, and that, that's great. But, but they, they know what it means to be placed on alert. They probably couldn't be out there deer hunting if they were placed on alert. They know what it means to be placed on alert. Uh, it, do, it doesn't go to the back burner of their minds. They know they need to stay ready to go at a moment's notice. Maybe another good picture of alertness is a runner in the starting blocks, and starter has already said, on your marks, get set. And now you're waiting for the gun to go off. I think that's the kind of alertness Jesus was talking about. Every muscle is flexed and ready to spring into action at the next heartbeat. Maybe somewhere in all of this is an idea for an app. You know, there's an app for that. Let's get an app for this. Uh, we could have an alert go off on our phones every few minutes that says, warning, Jesus could come back right now. Uh, Yeah, except it wouldn't work for very long, would it? We'd become numb to that uh, on our phones just as we become numb to other warnings. But that's what keeps me employed. (laughs) 
See, one of the reasons we need to come to church and have someone share the Scripture with us and rub shoulders with others who are awaiting the return of Christ is so that we can be reminded together that no one knows the hour or the day. I tell you the truth, as I understand Scripture, it could be today. It's quite possible that everything that's supposed to happen first has already happened. It's possible. We don't know for sure. Be alert. Now, before we go on, you didn't really think I was going to skip the part about being sober, did you? Nope. Not me, James. I'll hit it head on because that's what I do. I'm up here to do that. From verse 6, our text says, Let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep, do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we're of the day, let us be sober. What does it mean? Hmm. Let's see. Maybe we need to look at the original Greek, um, see if we can kind of figure something out. Well, I think, you know what I think? I think this means that believers should always be sober. As in not drunk or high. Of course, this truth is found throughout the Bible in many places. Drunkenness or a lack of sobriety is described as a sin throughout Scripture. Just as it is in this verse, drunkenness is often listed as a pretty good indicator of which group of people to whom you belong. You are aware there are two groups. There are two groups of people on planet Earth. There are those who are part of the kingdom of God, and there are those who are still a part of the kingdom of darkness. All of us started in the former or the latter, in the darkness. It's just a fact. There is no in-between kingdom. And so the question is, are you with the night folks or the day folks? I mean, really, that's what this passage describes. Is it not? Look at it. There are two groups of people here. Those who are ready and those who aren't. Those who are sober, day people. Those who are drunken, night people. Those eagerly awaiting the return of Christ and those living like he's never coming back. Let me read it one more time. Let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep, do their sleeping at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober. Let us be sober. Isn't it amazing how relevant 2,000-year-old Scripture can be? Listen, the nightlife is not for believers. Wake up. Stop living in the night. Jesus is coming soon. What will He find you doing when He comes? Will you be alert and sober or drunk and stupid? And by the way, don't add to what I said. I say what I say. I mean what I mean. And I don't mean more than I say. If I try to equivocate on everything, we'll have 80-minute sermons, okay? I only said what I said. Thirdly, to be ready, we need to wear armor. Wear armor. Continuing in verse 8, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation. Not long ago, I did a series on the armor of God from Ephesians chapter 6, and we walked through the different pieces of spiritual armor described here. Only two of the pieces are mentioned. I think the two most important pieces covering perhaps the three most important areas, uh, parts of, a, of the Christian life, faith, hope, and love. I noticed that Paul used the breastplate to illustrate what faith and love can do to prepare us. And he used the helmet to illustrate what hope of salvation can do to prepare us. Let's consider the imagery. Breastplate soldiers used in Paul's time covered the vital organs from their neck to their waist. The most vital organ, of course, is the heart. If you think about it, faith and love are matters of the heart. Faith is how we're able to relate to, and, uh, to God, and love is how we're able to relate to, 
to other people. And these two things always come from the inside out. Faith and love are matters of the heart. We protect our hearts when we believe by faith and when we act in love. Faith and love are like a shield for our hearts. Now, when Paul illustrates the hope of salvation with a helmet, I think he's pointing to our minds. We can either choose hope or we can choose worry and anxiety or even doubt. Wearing the helmet means choosing hope. I choose to trust that my salvation is secure in Him. I choose to believe God's overarching plan is is redemptive. It's good that everything is going to be okay in the end because I am His child. Hope is a matter of the mind. We protect our minds when we reject worry and doubt and choose to hope in Him instead. Hope is protective. It's like a a protective helmet for our minds. And so there's this spiritual armor that we can put on in in the morning, preferably each day to prepare. And in wearing it, we can stay emotionally and mentally ready for the finish. Now, an assumption is being made in these verses, by the way. Paul's assuming that you want to finish strong, that you plan to win, like Paul said, you know, straining forward to press on, to try to break the tape, to win the race. He's assuming you want to finish strong, that you care. That when Jesus returns, you desire to be found faithful by Him, even in that moment. And then you're motivated by the fact that there are even promised rewards for those who finish well. The New Testament talks a lot about how, how we finish and how important the finish is. Do you think about the finish? What if the finish is today? I promise you this, you will not finish well without daily choosing faith and love for your heart and hope for your mind. We need to put our armor on every day because every day might find us at the finish. Let's review. If we want to be ready for the finish of this journey, we need to first obtain salvation, second, stay alert, and third, wear armor. Lastly, we need to prepare together. We need to prepare together. Verse 11, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. Always notice words like therefore, which point back to the previous idea. Why do we need to encourage one another and build one another up? Because the finish line is in sight. We're almost there, one way or the other. Life is short. And the last part of the race is always the hardest part. The closer we get to the finish, the more we need each other in the church. Let me cut right to the chase on this, and I'm going to be blunt. Go figure, right? People who are not involved in the church of Jesus Christ are not ready for His return. People who are not involved in the church of Jesus Christ are not ready for His return. You see, we can't get ready without each other. Do you know how many one another passages there are in Scripture? How can you do the one another parts of Christianity if you aren't involved in a church, an actual church, a local church, a specific church, like the church at Thessalonica was? How can you do it? I mean, the enemy loves it when we're on our own. I mean, easy to pick off. Any quail hunters? It's the singles are easy. Where do we encourage each other? Remind each other of things. Uh, Speak truth to each other. Hold each other accountable. We do it at church. Through through church, through through, uh, our men's ministry, our women's ministry, our youth ministry, um... Our children are in there with other children learning about God. We do it at church. We, we learn to speak 
uh, truth. We learn, we, we're encouraged by each other. We're here to follow Christ together. You don't follow Christ alone. We follow Him as a body, as His body. You just can't do it on your own. You weren't designed to do it on your own. The enemy loves it when you're on your own. And so, you know what else? You know, you know what else I'm going to say that is maybe kind of hard for me to say? You need a pastor. You need a pastor or pastors. You know, the bigger a church gets, sometimes you have more than one and you, somebody get, you're able to relate better to somebody else or whatever, but you need pastors. You need shepherds, spiritual leaders in your life. That's why God, uh, and we need you. <laughs> God made his family to be dependent upon each other. You know, I mean, I just get so... I get, don't try to tell me how, how strong you are out there on your own because you read Christian books and listen to Christian radio. I mean, it's better than nothing. The Bible says we're a body. It's a body, the body of Christ. Let's say you're the feet. You're trying to hike out this journey we've been talking about, but you don't have any legs. You know, you just sit there and kind of flop around. It's not a pretty picture, is it? And meanwhile, the rest of us are trying to walk without feet because you're not here. You're, you know, you won't join us at the ankles. Take the name off the back of your jersey. This is a team sport. If you aren't on the team, you're not playing. If you cross the finish line apart from the team, you don't cross it well. Christianity is a team sport. Some are like that relay runner who forgets to pass the baton. He just keeps running past the guy he's supposed to hand off to and maybe even somehow finishes ahead of the other teams, but somehow he missed something about the rules of a relay race and, hey, newsflash, you lose. Maybe you're like a volleyball player who bumps to himself, sets to himself, and spikes the ball himself. That's really impressive, but, uh, you know, the referee, you lost. You missed the point. Um, point goes to the other team. You're the weakest link because you don't even realize there's a chain. Team is only as good as you are, and you don't seem to think it's important to show up for practice. You need to find yourself a church family. Make sure you show up at least once a week if that's not asking too much. We're trying to prepare for the finish here, and we need to do it together. I'll say it once more people who are not involved in the church of Jesus Christ are not ready for his return. So, what if you find yourself deficient in any of these areas? What if, if you haven't really obtain salvation what if you aren't staying alert aren't wearing armor aren't preparing together well my friend i would ask you to consider making a change and honestly i don't know how much time you have left to think about it obviously step one in our preparation is the most important have you ever really obtained salvation how do i do that you ask well you just need to say yes to god really you need to have the faith to receive the gift that God is already offering you in Christ. Maybe someone here is ready to do that today. If, if so, this is the most important moment of your life. You could obtain salvation today. I'm going to lead a prayer just to guide you so you have an idea of what to say. And if you're ready to make sure you have actually been saved from God's wrath, which is going to come, then you can pray along with me in your heart, trust in Jesus for grace and forgiveness. Would, would everybody pray with me for just a moment? And for that person here that, that has always just kind of played around on the edges and maybe kind of thought you were always a Christian or whatever it is, maybe there's somebody here that's very honest about not being a Christian and today you're ready. Wherever you're coming from, you're not sure you've really obtained salvation. 
by putting your faith in Jesus. This is not a magic prayer, but if you will tell God from your heart and, and, and really mean these things, he will save you. I say that on the promises of his word, that if you'll just tell God right now, I, I need you. I need you because of sin. I've sinned. I, I've done things that have not put you first. I've, I've been my own God in many ways. And, and I need Jesus. I need to be saved. I need to obtain salvation. I just, I'm putting my faith right now that, that what Jesus did on the cross was enough. I'm putting my faith in what he did on the cross and I'm asking you to save me. I just, I just, I'm crying out to Jesus right now in my heart. Save me. I need you. I don't understand everything yet, but today I want to obtain salvation. Just as simple as that. Jesus, please save me. Pray that today. And all of us can pray because all of us have been there and or have been there, or maybe some are coming there today, and and we know that when we give our heart to Christ like that, that He comes into our life and begins to change us. And so, Lord, I pray for that person or those people today that made a decision that 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 life change would begin, and that there would be an understanding of the need to be baptized so that they can make it public. Um, identifying with your death, burial, and resurrection in the water just to show everybody that, hey, I'm a believer now. Um, Lord, we rejoice. Thank you for the baptisms we've had in this church already, for the salvation stories, um, for a marriage that was saved because of somebody really and truly obtained salvation who's sitting here this morning and guests with them because of a renewal of vows that happened, that really happened, in many ways, because you came in and truly saved um, someone. And I just thank you for that. I pray for more and more of that in our church. Lord, there's, we, none of us knows how some of us are hurting. Lord, we need you. We need Jesus. And I pray for more people to come to that through the ministry of this church. I pray for the rest of us as I've been praying every day. I pray for a, a coming together. I pray that people on the edges would understand your love through this church, would, would realize that we get out of it what we put into it, that as we begin to love, we find out that those who love the most are the ones who are loved the most. And we need it. We need that love. We need a family. We need a spiritual family. So I pray for those on the edges to come in to come in and begin to understand what it means to be a church family and, and to experience that. Pray for the membership class tonight. Several are coming. That that would be the start of that for some of those. God, just keep working. It takes time, Lord. I'm seeing movement, but it takes a lot longer than one year for a church to become fully mature and healthy, a lot longer than one year. But what I see in front of me is a, is a miracle to have what we have in a year. And so I praise you and I thank you and give you all the praise and glory and we surrender our future to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website 
www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.